You are listening to Get Real Podcast. We are live back in the fishbowl, Dan. Once again. Once again. Uh, and we just got Mac the Metal Dog out of here. Yeah. Bait him with snacks. That bait, was so manipulative. Bait, <laughs> I'm having second thoughts about this whole thing. Baited him with a, uh, what we call a Mac snack. So he uh, ears perked up and he just ran right out the door. But we'll spend more time with, with good old Mac the Metal Dog in a little bit. But isn't it good we can have guests live in the studio now. it is i mean normally i get kind of creeped out by et over there with his high beams you know just kind of glaring at us and i'm like not really sure about it so it's nice to actually have humans for a change <laughs> that's that's all we had was you me and et for a while <laughs> did i say something <laughs> hey me the reese's pieces phone home phone home well with us today we have a good friend of mine he is Chaplain Joe Molina. He's the chaplain of the Corps of Cadets at the Citadel, the Military College of South Carolina. And let me tell you a little bit about Joe. He has a PhD. So he's a Reverend Chaplain Doctor, or is it Doctor Chaplain Reverend? Which do you prefer? You know, Joe works just fine. Joe works man. just fine. I like Absolutely. that. <laughs> you know, doctor. when, when yes. you call anybody Doctor, yeah. it's a setup. You know, it's a Certainly setup. Doctor, Doctor, yeah. Doctor, Doctor, Doctor. Yeah. Um, Joe was selected and commissioned for active duty in the U.S. Navy Chaplain Corps and completed Naval Chaplain uh, Basic School, in Newport, Rhode Island, and. 20 years as a military chaplain? Correct. And 30 years total ministry? Yes. So that's a long time. It is. And you were a pastor of a Baptist church, was it? I was, but don't hold it against me. I I like this interview already. This is is, is good. This is good. So here's, here's the degrees he holds, okay? So we... We're not worthy, Dan. Okay. We are not worthy today. <laughs> I thought he was human. He's a thermometer. A thermometer. No, he's got a yeah. lot of degrees. He has a BA. Yep. Yeah, BA from Long Island University, pre-law education from Long Island University, Master of Divinity from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Oh, New Orleans. New Orleans. Education specialist, EDS, from my alma mater for my master's degree, Lynchburg, uh, Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. And a doctor of ministry in homiletics from Luther Rice Theological Seminary in Lithonia, Georgia. And you know what's even cool too is he was born and raised in New York, New York City. I was actually born in Cuba. Born in Cuba. So I'm okay. a political refugee. Okay. I was a very small political refugee when I got here, but I was raised in the city of New York. Okay. How old were you when you came? Six years old. Okay. So you were little at that time. I was very little. And his military service and assignments were with the 1st Marine Division, Fleet, Fleet Marine Forces, United States Marine Corps, Acting Command Chaplain, Headquarters Battalion, Headquarters Marine Corps, uh, Washington, D.C., Chapel Center, Naval Air Station, uh, Jacksonville, Florida, 
You've been around Naval Construction Battalion, Gulfport, Mississippi, Surface Force Ministry Center, Mayport, Florida, and Command Chaplain Destroyer Squadron 40, uh, 44th Fleet, Mayport, Florida, 4th Assault Amphibian Battalion, United States Marine Corps Reserve. Military awards include the Military Outstanding Volunteer Service Medal, Navy Marine Corps Commendation Medal, three awards, Navy Marine Corps Achievement Medal, two awards, Fleet Marine Forces Device. Wow. I'm going to dismiss myself and go reflect upon what I haven't done in my life. So, and no, that's impressive, man. That, that Thank you, it. brothers. I, you know, it's been a privilege to serve. It really has been. It's I, I pinch myself regularly for having had the opportunity to uh, serve our military service members and their families. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Just this past year, one of the things that's really got me excited about this interview is a book that he's published. It's a recent book that's just come out. It's entitled Musings from the Heights, an Anthology of Christian Life for Seekers, Pilgrims, and Overcomers. That's a pretty big title. Yeah. It's jam-packed, and this book is just chock full of, of full of good, real, practical application. Uh, it's just, it, it's, what's amazed me the most about this book is that everything that we've kind of talked about to a degree has been touched upon in this book that he's written. Huh. And I've really been enjoying reading it. And Joe, what was it that motivated you to write this book? The, the book really is a, a result of 20 years of ongoing ministry. Uh, as you read the book, uh, these are articles that have morphed into sermons. Some of them have started as sermons that have morphed into articles. And during my military career, I've had the opportunity, well, even, uh, e even as a local church pastor, I've had the opportunity to write articles uh, for different types of periodicals that had an interest in pastoral concerns. And so it's a compilation of, you know, of all these experiences. But really the genesis of the book was when I was at Naval Air Station, Jacksonville, Florida, where a retired chief, Harry Terry, just continued to encourage me and actually annoy me uh, to, to, you know, write, to, to put together a collection of the writings. Uh, and this was a long time ago, but he primed the pump. And I started at that point, um, which you're talking about 2005. Uh, at that particular point, I started thinking about, you know, how, how do I organize all of these articles uh, to, to make sense in, in a collection of writings? And someone who wants to read this book, where can they get a copy of this book? At this well, time? they can go to Amazon.com and look it up, and it's right there. Uh, the book is basically a, a layout of the process of, or the journey of sanctification, <laughs> uh, the process that we go through, you know, the purging process, right. the developing process that we go through in our Christian lives. You know, Dan and I have often equated the Christian life and the walk with the Lord as like a video game, mm -hmm. and where the Lord says, you go from glory to glory. Yeah. It's like from level one to the to the next level, and oh, yeah. it really is. You, you've never arrived. I think the day that we arrive is when we see him face to face. Glorification. <laughs> Otherwise, this this journey of sanctification, you know, for me, and I, I appreciate your analogy there, uh, but for me, it's been like looking 
at the stock market. You know, okay. you go up and down, and you go there and here, and in the process, we're learning a bunch of stuff about ourselves and about God. Ain't that the truth about the ups and downs? <laughs> <It really is. laughs> Video game, is that why for most of my life I've heard doo, 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 in the back of my head? You know, I'm like God's trying to tell me something. No, that is a big deal. I know that um, it sounds like, because you and I dealt with early, you know, in our teens and 20s and after you got saved, we dealt with a lot of legalisms, a lot of extremes, a lot of trying to interpret grace and how much do I have to contribute and then looking at it and going like, oh, you know, a lot of stuff has to be hashed out. Oh, know? yeah. So yeah. And, and here's newsflash. Muppet newsflash. Here we go. <laughs> Muppet newsflash to all our listeners is that when you're saved, you don't immediately pop up with angel wings. It, it doesn't work yeah. that way. There's a lot that has to be worked out. Oh, man. Uh, it's, it's a continual process. So that's why there is no such thing as the perfect Christian. And there never will be the perfect Christian walking on the face of this earth. I mean, that's just the way that it is. And this book, uh, Musings from the Heights, was truly a labor of love. Uh, you're not making bank on this one. Nope. Nope. Not, not making bank. The proceeds are going to the Fisher House. Yes, the Fisher and House. Can you explain to us okay, what the Fisher so, House is? So basically, is? the way it is, is, is that, you know, the, the person that goes and gets the book, they're getting it at cost. It's the cost of printing, of publication. I, I receive uh, absolutely no royalties from it. Uh, but what I am requesting, and it's on the honor of the person that is getting the book, is that they make a donation to the Fisher House. The book, uh, in, in the front part of it, has instructions on how to go online and just make a donation, whatever you can afford, uh, to the Fisher House. That's, that's neat. And what yeah. is the Fisher House? Well, the Fisher House is an organization that specializes in providing temporary housing for family members of service members that are coming back uh, injured uh, from uh, war zones or perhaps have been injured on active duty and they re they're receiving uh, medical care. Uh, they're at a hospital somewhere and uh, the Fisher Houses are located within the vicinity of these major hospital centers that tend to be around uh, military bases. Uh, so think of the uh, Ronald McDonald House. Okay. The Fisher House is sort of a parallel organization to the Ronald McDonald House, but it's catered towards military service members and their families. That is really neat how you're still serving and serving our service members through the publication of this book and where the, where the, where the funds are going to towards that. And uh, that's just selflessness. That's, that's really what it boils down to. Is, you know, the whole time we're talking to him about this, I'm thinking about our friend Carla from Armor of God. The, oh, yeah. Who works with the veterans with P PTSD mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and what she does. Can I have a moment? Because yeah. one of the things that I feel like God has led me to do is when you have pages full of notes, I like to distract you yes, off of those thank notes you. and interrupt. <laughs> thank you. That is, just, your, that is your ministry. You know, every everybody's got to play their part <laughs> in, and, um, in the cosmos. I yeah. have a question. When you were writing and putting together the book, was there a particular part of it that you felt just um, a zeal, a real excitement to get out? Obviously, all of it. But was there a you know a couple of nuggets in there just to kind of um, get the listeners and get get us to know like the, the gist of whoa, this was the passion of my heart. It, obviously, it was different experiences, but any, um, any nuggets that... Uh... Absolutely. God is present at all moments. In the good, the bad, the ugly, God is present at all moments. 
And uh, that, that really has been the driving passion of the book. And it seeks to, it seeks to break that out in terms of uh, describing the different experiences of life that we go through. From the moment that we are accepted by God, the moment by which we come to understand the claims of God in our lives, uh, and then uh, continuing to flesh out uh, you know, the, the, this, this journey that we are on in relationship to God through the merits of Jesus Christ. And some of it is ugly because we make mistakes. But God is present at all times and He never lets us go. That, that's really been the driving passion of, of what I, I seek to describe in the book. Yeah, we talk about that stuff yeah, that, a lot. That God is not terrified by or surprised by anything. Well, that absolutely we do. not. <laughs> right. You cannot surprise God, man. You cannot. <laughs> well, and how to not, uh, how do you say, seek out some comfort with some uh, groupthink of this or that? You think about lifestyle changes or the difference of what I would have thought about the way I live now. That in some ways, I think I'm more in tune with God. My wife's probably like scoffing at that. <laughs> but, it, it, but at the same time, when I, I look at where we came from doctrinally or going in and out of different things, and it's like you really do, it's in a nutshell, you learn more as you go about yourself and about God and about who and how he is. So, no, that, that sounds fascinating. Thank you. A lot of church, most, well, most churches from our experience, Dan, are, are really homogenous everybody's the same and thinks the same and everybody kind of comes from the same background in a lot of instances so like finds like in the military it's different and as a chaplain joe had to minister to people from all different walks of life as a chaplain which is very different than pastoring at a certain church where like attracts like in a lot of instances what were some of the challenges you had ministering to people from all different walks of life well, first of all, let me qualify it by saying this. When I was a local church pastor, minister, I never, ever had a bona fide atheist come knocking on my door to seek advice or to seek a conversation with me. Uh, in military chaplaincy, um, I would say that I receive uh, randomly visits contacts from people that that claim to be atheists but identify me as a place where they can go and have a conversation about whatever is going through their lives. The biggest challenge that I've had as a military chaplain really has been seeking the permission of those uh, that, that I have those conversations with. What do I mean by that? Um, as a military chaplain, you're not in the business, if you will, of, of proselytizing people. But you are in the life journey of living out your own faith. Uh, and as others give you permission, as you develop those relationships, to share your journey with them. And uh, once you have that permission, they share their journey with you. And you have an ongoing conversation. Rather than being postured uh, to get that person to have to believe whatever it is you believe in, but they listen to your journey, and in doing so, they make their own decisions about where they need to be in their journey. Does that make sense? That does, does. make sense. Yeah. And essentially, that's probably where the action really happens anyway. People Absolutely. Have, have got, you can try to uh, 
motivate and try to do that, but the Lord leading someone and oh, yeah. wanting to know more would be a... Well, and it's truer to the model that we see in the life of Jesus Christ. You know, he gained the audience and he gained really basically the, the permission of people uh, that listened to him uh, because they had a relationship with him. And so it's, it's relational evangelism, if you will. That's a really good point, because when you look in the Scripture, we always think of just the 12 that were following Jesus. There were a lot more than 12 that followed Jesus. Not all of them believed what Jesus said. They were there for different reasons, but they followed him throughout his journey. They were watching to see what was going on, or it was interesting to them. And Jesus never forced them to do anything. Yeah. Never forced them. Never. There, there wasn't a 30-minute uh, altar call. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At the end of each sermon. We're just going to sing just as, as I, I am nine <laughs> more times. And then the women yeah. will sing the rest of this. Well, you know, the Emmaus Walk, I, I think, is a classic example of that, in which the resurrected Christ appeared to these individuals and walked walked with them on their journey and listened to them. And, and they listened to him. You know, and, and in the process, they had their, their moment of awakening. You know, they, they had their epiphany in which they realized that they were talking to the living Christ. Would you say in the military with where the young people were at that you were working with, was it easier to share your faith with them in that situation when the opportunity presented itself or... Was it more difficult, or what were some obstacles that that you had in doing that? Well, it, it was easier because of, and I'm speaking for myself. I, I mean, you'll you'll speak to a variety of military chaplains that have had different experiences, but for myself, it was easier because of this free flowing conversation that went on. Uh, you know, I, I've been at both ends of the spectrums. I, I, you know, in my early stages of the journey. Uh, I was into the proselytizing, posturing that, hey, you know what, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to take this Bible and, and you go listen to what I have to say. Uh, and uh, in the military chaplaincy, it's, it's a free-flowing conversation in which you are listening to people uh, and accepting them where they are in, in their stage of life. Uh, and by doing so, you're sharing your story with them. So for me, it's been easier that way. Uh, you know, it's less. Th- it's definitely less threatening. People tend to put their guard down, uh, and they will. And you know, they will engage in that conversation. In your current role right now as a chaplain, you're still at the Citadel. You're still working with young people, which is challenging. I mean, they're they're developing, they're growing. They're not fully at the full level of maturity uh, in in their thinking processes. What are some of the things that you see? as some of the biggest challenges for today's youth? Well, listen, uh, it, it, it really, here's the thing. It, it, it isn't a whole lot different than the scenarios that I've had to face while I was on active duty. Because remember, I mean, the average age of active duty members that I addressed uh, was somewhere in the mid-20s, I would say like 23, 24. Um, and... Um, uh, so, so these uh, these cadets are are not uh, too far from that age group. Uh, you know, we have a population of that uh, anywhere from 17 to 21 or 22. So, it, you know, the issues are are not very much different. Uh, but but these the, the, this particular audience tends to be a little bit more heady in, in the way they approach uh, issues. 
and um, you know they're, they're, they tend to be I, I, I don't know uh, gosh I want to use the, the phrase smarter than the average bear kind of a thing so they tend to be more heady in their process and the, the, the two challenging areas uh, is the area of relativism and the area of revisionism and, you know, this this whole reconstruction process that is going on in society right now uh, that is really, uh, it's part of this postmodern movement that is going on that is challenging us at the level of reconstructionism in terms of uh, reconstructing historical narrative, reconstructing biblical narrative. Uh, and, and so, you know, that really uh, poses... Uh, the biggest challenges right now in the dialogue process. Where do you think they're picking up? Because I hear a lot about the postmodernistic thought. It's all we touched on a little bit this morning, and it's almost like there is no truth. Whatever you want truth to be is is groovy, baby. Yeah. You know, it's like where are they? Where are people picking this up? So by well, the time they get to you, are they teaching it in high schools? Well, or is it- here's the thing, man. That what what people don't understand is that this whole relativistic process started in the 60s. Uh, And and so it's morphed, it it just didn't come to light like overnight. Uh, You know, some of the the researchers in the postmodern movement tend to identify the year 2000 sort of as the magic year. Uh, And I guess that's a good place to kind of place it. It's a borderline kind of a date. But it really predates that back into the 60s where people started to question authority for for some very good reasons. Uh, They started to question the way that things were structured in society. Uh, And, uh, you know, that questioning went into all different areas of society to include the local church, to include theological research, uh, and you name it, the, the legal process and, and such and such. Uh, so what we're dealing with today, this reconstructionism, this relativism, uh, is really a reaction against um, established authorities over time that has morphed into something that regrettably has become negative in a number of ways uh, and has questioned uh, the very validity of truth. Uh, is there such a place for truth? Is there such a thing as true? Uh, and of course there is. There are some values that are unchanging over time, but Reconstructionism uh, questions that itself. Which, by the way, brings up the question, if they question all truth, they must also question their own truth. And so what is true? Nothing becomes true. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, you're setting yourself up for chaos. So then what's the purpose of living if there's no truth? So nihilistically dead-end, depressing, just nonsense. <laughs> Absolutely. And it seems also, it seems so shallow. We were talking this morning and touching on some things that, like, if you're driving a bus, right, and you got a hand on the steering wheel and you're like, anywhere the road goes is okay, man, and you let go of the steering wheel, you're not going to end up in any sort of productive destination. And it's a very, that sort of passivity when 
looking at or dealing with spiritual things, much less just psychological or, or societal relationships, whatever you're doing, but spiritually just going into some passivity that it's all in the squish out there somewhere. And I'm sure I'm just going to collide with it when I let go of the steering wheel. That's that's yeah. like, oh, yeah, man. but let me, let me say this about postmodernism. It's not all negative, man. Postmodernism really seeks to create genuine community. And, and genuine communication. Can you among, give an example? Among, among people. Uh, yes, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, for instance, uh, within the community that I serve right now, the Citadel, uh, you know, the, they tend to group in, in terms of companies. And I mean, you got the regiment of cadet, the battalion, you got the companies. Well, you know, the companies, uh, you know, tend, they have a longing and a desire to create genuine community and solid bondings of understanding among themselves. And I saw that very recently uh, in the death of a young cadet that we lost uh, in, in one of our companies. Uh, I will not name or name the, the family and such to pr you know, protect their uh, privacy, but uh, the company out of which this cadet came from, I mean, the, these young people just came together and delivered a level of genuine ministry and concern and care for the family that had lost their loved one because they, they genuinely loved this kid and by extension loved the family. I, I, I saw this flesh out in, in their desire uh, to, to have this experience of community. It's interesting that you say that there's some good points of it because I'm thinking back to Jesus's own ministry where he questioned and challenged the authority. There's a there's a line, the, the authority that he was challenging was the false authority. Yes. And we as human beings, what we do, so all rebellion is not bad. There there is a good rebellion, and that's what Jesus exhibited against the, the scribes and the Pharisees in rebelling against the religious system. He broke all their silly rules. He never broke the laws of God during his, right. his, you know, because he's perfect. He's sinless. He didn't break those rules. He didn't rebel against God, but he rebelled against man's systems. And going back to the 1960s, this is something that you and I have talked about when we talked about Woodstock. Is that there was there was some good rebellion going on because of the 50s, the the rules and the regulations and the way society was set up was kind of ridiculous in a way. You had those. Those, those movies with the short films that they had on how to brush your teeth and how to eat a good breakfast and it basically it was propaganda films is what it was united yeah. against communism you know th this is what we're going tom to do tom cleans his plate and cuts down an in between meal snack exactly <laughs> that's the that's the one that's the one that's the one and you're like well what's bad about that well you can't control every yeah, every aspect of people's lives it's kind of a a little bit of, t I mean, this will sound weird, but it's it's a little bit psychedelic in the sense of reevaluating your perceptions of things and what you took as reality. It's like, wait a second, I don't know if that's truth for me, or I don't know if what the suits have been telling me, you know, is, is really true. I, I could see that positive, creative. I've never thought about a positive aspect of, of postmodernism, so that was ref that's I've learned something that's uh, refreshing. We, we've learned something today. We've learned something today. One of the things that you talk about in your book, and this really raised my, my eyebrows when I started reading it, because I know you as Joe, the, the chaplain and, and, and the minister. But It's Dr. Joe. Dr. Joe. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Chaplain, Reverend. God, you're killing me. You're killing me, man. You're killing me. There was a point 
in your life where you considered yourself an indolent agnostic bordering on atheism. How did you go from at one point thinking that God exists and nearly dismissing the fact and then coming back to the point of salvation? Can you share with us that journey that you took? Yeah, was, so, was um, you know, my, my, my journey tended to be heady as well. I, you know, but uh, it became heady after I had uh, experienced a, a personal crisis of self-doubt uh, through broken relationships. Uh, and it, it primed the question or begged the questions along the lines of, okay, so, you know, what are we here for? What, what's going on here? Uh, is this just accidental things that happen in our lives that break us? Uh, and so it, it, it brought up those kinds of philosophical questions uh, that uh, primed my curiosity to engage in conversations with people at that point in my life that I did not know were people of the Christian faith, but were willing to sit down with me, did not identify themselves as such, uh, but engaged with me in those kinds of conversations. Uh, either I had met them uh, through uh, business interaction, or I had met them at the college campus scene as I was going through my undergraduate years. Uh, and, uh, and, and so I, you know, they, they kind of helped to orient the questions and brought me to a place uh, where I had to make a decision about the claims of God in my life through the merits of Jesus Christ and make a decision whether those claims were real or not. Uh, and, and so, but it, it really was, was brought on by a, a personal experience of crisis and brokenness that then started these questions, you know. Would you say that's how God works with most people? To bring them to that point? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think God works in different ways with people. I mean, you got the, uh, the Pauline or Paul's experience uh, of encountering the living Christ. Uh, gosh, I, you know, I don't think I could have handled that, <laughs> uh, you know, but I, I got, God works through the instruments of, of the circumstances that we find ourselves in uh, and addresses those, those issues. And then hopefully uh, we are open to the discerning of God's spirit as we are led through that process and, and open ourselves to the questions that need to be asked. Um, so it, it works different for different people. It's interesting that you brought up Paul's conversion experience because I was thinking about that the other day, Dan, in the context of where we came from out of the, the Voldemort's fun park, yeah. the cult. And the premise there was that if you did not hear the preaching of the gospel in a certain way and certain things were presented in a certain manner, your your salvation was suspect. So according to those standards where we were at in that cult, if Paul had showed up and said that, shared his testimony, they would not have believed he was saved. Right. Can, can you think about just yeah. like, yeah. 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 Very much. Absolutely. Yeah. He, wouldn't, he wouldn't have been part of the exclusivity. No. It wouldn't, oh, yeah. no. Like, nope, oh, yeah. sorry. The, no. It wasn't preached this way according to this order and this and this form. It's, it's, it's absolutely absurd. Well, you so, know, or the woman at the well, you know, and, and the experiences that she brought into her encounter with Christ and the way that he addressed her. I mean, it's totally different to different contexts. So it, it works differently with, with different people, you know. So basically, God meets people where they're at. That's absolutely right. And Paul needed to be knocked off of his high horse. <laughs> and that day may still be coming for me. Get Real will be soon back. <laughs>